lots of people um, don't really want to come to terms with the fact that they are going to go through a grieving process, whether they understand it as grief or not, um, they know the emotions that they could be setting themselves up to feel. And um, I think the best way that we found for the people that are in our community anyway, and everyone's totally different. Some people re respond really well to like hard hitting, straight up, um, quite like shocking information. And some people need to be invited in a bit more gently. So we think that humor is a good way to invite people in and not be scared of the like grief process that they're gonna encounter at some point. Um, and our work's honest and we still list the like hard truths, but for some people they just need a bit more of a gentle nudge in. You're listening to the Spaceship Earth podcast with me, Dan Burgess. Hi, this is Dan. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, welcome to the show. This is episode 37. Uh, in this episode, I'm in conversation with Josie Tucker and Richard Ashton, the uh, founders of Adapt Climate Club. Uh, more on them shortly. Um, so we're in August. Uh, there's been a little pause between the last episode and this episode, mainly due to the fact it's been quite busy in the Spaceship Earth shed, uh, juggling many sort of work-life missions, which is all fine. Um, but also it's been a time for me to little reflect a little bit on the podcast uh, and what next. Um, I started... Uh, this podcast in 2018 um, as a bit of an experiment. Uh, I've released 43 episodes so far. Of those, five of them were me talking to myself, uh, often in the woods or by the sea. Uh, 29 episodes talking at length with some extraordinary humans doing amazing things on the spaceship Earth. Uh, one episode was an outside broadcast at a climate strike. Seven episodes uh, uh, featured 30 amazing people from four continents who sent me in their reflections around the pandemic lockdown. And uh, one episode actually was a sort of deep cosmic house mix, which I put out just after the uh, election results, trying to sort of ease the pain. Um, so anyway, um, a lot has been learned. I've enjoyed doing them. Uh, the listenership is growing. People seem to be enjoying them too, but I feel like uh, it's at a, a moment of, uh, it's a moment of reflection and maybe a chance to maybe reboot with a um, slightly different phase for the podcast. So that's what I'm planning on doing in the autumn. I put a little post out. Uh, I'm actually seeking a bit of a crew to help me with that. Um, so if you check out the Instagrams, you'll find that. But uh, yeah, time to um, time to give it a little bit of a, a little bit of a polish and an iteration. And uh, and then I've got absolutely loads of brilliant people lined up uh, for more conversations. So so all good. Uh, in the spirit of that, I am also planning to um, start a Patreon around the podcast to see if any listeners might want to contribute something, uh, some form of donation to the ongoing efforts of the podcast, which would actually end up supporting some of the crew to help me edit and put this podcast out because it does take uh, actually a pretty large amount of time to do this frequently um, and so that uh, is where I'm at and hopefully that will all start to happen in the autumn but on that note if you are a regular listener or any listener or you like and you like what I'm trying to do here with this podcast it would be amazing if you could give us just a quick review or a rating on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Acast or Google Podcasts whatever you access it on just it'll take you like a minute or two minutes just a quick review a quick rating and it really helps surface the podcast to more listeners and we get more listeners and um 
it just kind of helps the whole thing swing. So uh, uh, that's my my request. Much gratitude if you might do that. Okay, onwards to episode 37. So this was recorded back in June during uh, sort of coming out of lockdown, if I can remember rightly, or going back in, who knows. Um, but this is with a conversation I had with Josie Tucker and Richard Ashton, who are uh, two brilliant creative humans and uh, climate activists, and they, uh, the founders of Adapt uh, Climate Club, which is calls itself a climate club, a creative organisation. They use design, lots of humour, uh, contemporary culture to kind of engage people in climate issues in a new way. And uh, their mission is to run Adapt in order to share knowledge, encourage action, and build a community of motivated activists. Um, they have this really amazing growing community of people. They are prolific in their work, um, really inspiring duo. They were listed last year by the British Council as 10 Emerging Designers 2019. They've been featured in uh, all over uh, uh, the web in lots of interesting media platforms. Um, and they are epic, just so dedicated to the climate cause and constantly exploring how uh, to help uh, the climate issues travel further, wider, and engage more people in the action we desperately need. So, on that note, I'm going to cut to it. This is episode 37 of the Spaceship Earth podcast with Josie Tucker and Richard Ashton from Adapt Climate Club. Enjoy. We live on a life-giving rock called Earth, hurtling through space. How bonkers is that? So, Josie, Richard, welcome to the Spaceship Earth podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great, great, to, great to connect. We've tried this, haven't we, a few times. We've tried to get this one happening for what's well, probably like months, actually. Might even be more. It might even be over a year. But uh, <laughs> for whatever reasons, we never quite did it. <laughs> yeah, many curveballs thrown by. I know. You know there's been a few, <laughs> few crises going on. Um, but... Um, what I want to do is, before we get into ADAPT today and before we get into a little bit about your story, because we are living in these sort of, you know, slightly surreal, surrealer times uh, every week, it seems to get more and more surreal. Um, but I'd just love to know a little bit about like, you know, just how you're doing, where are you, where are you right now? And could you give us a little sense of what, what uh, life's been like for you the last few weeks. Uh, yes, actually, currently we are camping in my parents' garden uh, outside of London. Um, because there's so we've we were, we've been in London pretty much the whole time throughout lockdown and then we've really wanted to see my family but um uh, for this particular reason we can't go inside so actually they've set up a bell tent for us in their garden and we're spending a couple of days here so we've really kind of been with the outdoors it's just quite funny. amazing yeah I mean, that makes that makes it that, that that makes the difference doesn't it yeah is it feels really luxurious after spending like the whole of lockdown sort of like in grubby Peckham um as much as we love Peckham but um we're suddenly now in the middle of the countryside so yeah yeah it feels like a holiday actually so actually you know when you when things are kind of taken away from you or you can't do things just having a bell tent in a garden is actually a really nice thing yeah and what have you actually it's because it's quite a shift I imagine from like you say from sort of Peckham to sort of countryside and what's the what have you noticed more about that that transition and what have you really picked up on being in the bell tent um definitely the noises of uh nature just even in the back garden like we've been noticing an increase in the like sound of birds in london anyway but like it's nothing 
compared to here. Um, hearing like hedgehogs rustling around us and like squirrels and stuff going to sleep, which is quite funny. Um, and yeah, the air, the air quality, hmm. really nice. You can just take a big breath in, and it's not full of like horrible particles. Yeah. And that's amazing, isn't it? So bird song and clean air. And it's like, yeah. And you sort of really notice that during the, during, well, it seemed like there was a, you know, a, a, a lot of folks had sort of tuned in to these kind of really simple things that were actually sort of um, becoming more noticeable and actually going, wow, actually they, these things have a really interesting impact on us as, as human beings. <laughs> and uh, yeah, excellent. So, so listen, what I want to do is, um, before we get into the adapt story, what we do, you know, always really intrigued and people are always intrigued, listen to always intrigued in, in people's own journeys into what, you, you know, what they're doing right now. So can you guys give us a bit of a, a bit of like, you know, how did, how did you get to adapt? What was the, what was the storyline for you? That would be lovely to have a bit of, bit of that journey. Um, yeah. So it was a few years ago now. I think we've been saying two years for now three years so I think it must be about three years um but basically both me and Rich were doing our masters and in different places um and I was looking into the use of humor as a communication tool in graphic design that's what I was like researching into um and was just like really astounded at how important using humour is when you're trying to win people around or um, encourage them to remember and take things in and act on what they're learning. And mm. there's a study, um, I think it was by Harvard, um, where they tested the memory retention of students um, being taught by a teacher, both using humour and then not using humour. And the difference of what they could remember when they were taught using humour was up to 50% more wow. um, knowledge so that just really stuck with me and graphic design being quite a dry industry <laughs> generally mm. um, there's like branches of visual communication that's really fun and interesting but graphic design on its own tends to be quite boring so in terms of like humor um and at that time it felt like the world was falling apart and it still does so not much <laughs> It was the first time I was really aware um, of just how serious the climate crisis was. But mm -hmm. I was sort of looking around me um, in my studio and on my course and nobody was talking about climate change. It just felt like it had been completely swept under the rug. Um, and so I sort of finished my master's, felt a bit incomplete with what I was doing because I was studying like subcultures and like the lack of subcultures now and then I sort of put everything together and thought hang on you can use humor create a sort of like climate subculture and try and bring this conversation to the fore because it just wasn't really reaching beyond um the level of people that were already interested in the yeah. environment um so yeah we just basically teamed up and invited loads of people around to our house um got a bit drunk and started to just all rant about how worried we were about the planet and it was yeah. really refreshing just to know that people weren't talking about it but they were feeling it so from then on basically we just tested lots of ideas did workshops um started building projects and it's been a long process of testing things out and um 
trying to figure out what the best way is to communicate climate change, like what people respond to, how they want to be involved. Um, and sort of, yeah, creating a club or like a subculture in a way of climate activism that's cultural and funny and lighthearted. What, what is it about, um, and Richie, you can probably, it'd be good to get your, your sort of view of this as well, but what is it about, what is it about humor? Because that's such an interesting insight about like what we remember through humor and I'm, what's what's kind of going on behind that? Like there must be something deeper happening about how we how we kind of experience information, or I don't know. What have you got more of a sense of what is it that's actually driving that sort of ability for humour to kind of land with people, or for people to remember, or to sort of engage with things? Um, I guess in a way, though, because we always kind of think possibly the idea that your mind. I'm not again. This is not based on a huge amount, but the idea that your mind's more relaxed at the time and you're you, you sort of so you're re- more reluctant to sort of take things in but then at the same time I guess when it's funny you're creating like fun memories as you probably go forward so you're going to hopefully try and remember things um you'll con- continue to form those fun memories and if they you kind of alter them a little bit so hopefully that's kind of why it maybe sticks with people a bit more yeah and then I guess like I mean in terms of like using humor for us it's really about it helps people deal with something that is actually almost like very crippling in a way. Um, just the idea of like, I mean, obviously dealing with the climate crisis, not knowing what to do, having days where you can't really even process everything that's going on to be able to kind of then translate that into humor allows people allows us to deal with it, but then hopefully allows other people to also feel that they can sort of laugh or find humor in a really dire situation and then also that I guess that then forms a bit of a community, the fact that we're all kind of feeling sort of uh, kind of like a deep sense of I don't know, frustration or sadness. But then also together we're having a trying to have a laugh or like trying to bring something into that. So then, yeah, hopefully I kind of everyone feels connected in a way and we're all kind of like sharing some sort of joke or something or we're kind of laughing at something similar. And I think that hopefully forms a sense of community, which is kind of what we've always tried to do. And, like, and, as well. and yeah continuing from that as well I just wanted to say because it's a really interesting point that Rich brought up about like helping people deal with their feelings I think like um, apparently scientists still don't really know why we laugh and why we find things funny but one of the major theories is that um, we laugh to diminish the fear of something um, so one is, one example that's always used is like the elephant and the mouse. Why is it so funny that elephants are scared of mice? Is because they're so big and they could be a potential threat to us. So we laugh when we see that they are scared of something smaller. Um, and I think that that's a really nice way to look at dealing with climate change because if you can laugh and act at the same time, you're diminishing your fear and it actually just makes you a bit more powerful in a way. Mm. It's it's super interesting, and um, I think I'm sort of feeling we're going to dig into more of more of this kind of um, humor versus kind of fear and uh, and sort of you know grief and fear and humor and stuff because it's all yeah it's all so tied up, isn't it? But I I, I I'm, it's it's interesting. There's a sense of like this opening up maybe that occurs through this kind of more uh, through the use of humor. It's sort of allowing people to maybe open up a bit more to to these things initially which is which is interesting so you you call yourselves so like you call adapt you call it a climate club right so yeah. tell us a bit about that and to, or just for the listeners well, i mean i know about your work but just explain a bit a kind of, kind of about the thinking of, a, of of approaching your work in this in this way 
Um, yeah, I guess because even though over the last few years we've developed ways of working, developed new ways of doing things and stuff, and it, it's, it's only really been me and Joe's over the last year or two that have really been running things. Like the idea of the climate club still exists from our initial idea of the meetings and getting everyone's input at the beginning. So we kind of have taken that forward. And then what we always try and do is, um, even though there's two of us, we're always on the big projects we do, we're always trying to look to collaborate with as many designers, artists, researchers as possible. And the idea of that, we're all kind of forming this ongoing club, which is kind of dealing with climate in new ways. We're bringing people into a conversation that they may not necessarily have been talking about before. And then on top of that, obviously, we're very present on social media, on Instagram, which wasn't our intention when we initially started Adapt, but it's kind of gone that way. And it's become like our big testing bed for climate uh, climate conversations and stuff. So we've kind of built a big community on there. And the idea of being a club is like, you know, it's, it's kind of for everyone. And what we try and do is like really, rather than go, when people come and find Adapt, we hope we're just kind of bringing them into the conversation, bringing that first step and we can try and encourage them to research more. We can teach them from just what we know. Because when we started Adapt, and obviously maybe our knowledge has grown as we've done it, but we're no, by no means experts. So we're we're researching all the time and then we're passing that on and then they people can pass it on and then people can pass it on to others. And hopefully that is kind of forms this whole idea of being a club in like quite, um, yeah, it's not like a literal club. It's just like an overarching thing, which we're hopefully just bringing people into the conversation on climate change. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, like, I mean, you know, your your work is kind of surfacing. I've, you know, I've been sort of following your your journey and seeing it. You know, you're sort of surfacing and popping up all over the place. And I think it was, the, was it the British Council had you down. You know, and there's sort of ten emerging designers of 2019, and you're you're you've you've got lots of work that you're doing, which we'll dig into some of the specific projects and stuff. But just before that, what about you guys together? Like, what's your dynamic? How do you how do you work? Like, does it give us a sense of uh, of um of your relationship together that'd be interesting um so we're a couple and we never know if people know that or not we always feel like we have to announce it um <laughs> you've just announced you've just announced it on the spaceship earth <laughs> podcast they are a couple yeah it's a little um but yeah we we work really fluidly together and i think there's something really nice about being a couple which means like you don't have to lay down any groundwork because we sort of know how to communicate with each other anyway. So generally, like, we collaborate on most things, even if one of us takes the lead. So um, sometimes we do things separately, but we'll always bring the other person in at the end to, like, feedback and check. And it's just quite a fluid process. Like, every project we do it slightly differently, I think. Yeah. I mean, like, we have, like, yeah, like Joe said, we have a constant feedback loop with each other. So, like, I think originally, like, Joe's would do kind of a lot of stuff to do with Instagram, and then I'd have skills elsewhere, but we're always kind of working to kind of bring each other in. And as we've gone forward, we've kind of merged. Merged, and, like, I think our skill, even our skill set, like, they've kind of, like, been strengthened by working with each other. So we're, we're almost, like, very, just work very collaboratively, collaboratively across a lot of different projects. And Yeah, and I would say that I'm definitely a lot more... Um, messy and experimenting all over the place and like rich is quite like technical and he has lots of skills that i don't have and like you're a lot more yeah technically skilled so together it's like you hone the mess that yeah. i make yeah 
<laughs> that's been good because that's how that's kind of forced me to work quicker and be more messy at the same time so it's kind of like helped me to try and change the way i've originally was designing a long time before this you know so it's yeah it's kind of worked well I think. and did you ever have because i know like i mean i you know i work with my partner we we work together and and uh do, do you ever have like have you ever had moments on the journey where you've gone uh, is this is this right or is it always felt? Is it always felt right? Or has there been moments where you've gone, Wah, maybe we're putting too much into this? I'm just, I'm just curious. But um, I think there's definitely been times where it's been hard, like not in terms of with each other, but we obviously we can't switch. We find it very difficult to switch off. Yes. I think you know it's like we'd be, you know, if one of us has an idea, we have to kind of land the understanding of when the other person kind of doesn't want to talk about adapt, but doesn't want to talk about climate change twenty four seven. Yeah, that, that kind of um, policy, right? and then also trying to yeah i guess trying to look after each other you know so we're not uh and then like you know we'll find like a, a we'll read something we're like oh god that's really terrifying and then we'll we'll say we have like a whatsapp chat with each other which is called adapt notes which we'll send send it on to just because we don't want to talk about it at the moment and you just before you go to bed you'll look at your whatsapp and be like oh no yes yeah, read something, something, yeah, not climate related before bed. <laughs> yes, definitely recommended. Yeah, what about you as well? You have kids, don't you, too? Me, yes. Yeah, I. so yeah, I have three children. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, it's just interesting, this, you know, this integrated life, I guess it's sort of how I would frame it, you know, so... I, I, I've, I've, over the years, I've, you know, I've had my moments where I've found it extraordinarily difficult to separate the issues and the complexities and the fears that I'm working with, you know, and and to and to keep the space in the home away from them, you know, or particularly with the with the with the kids. And I, you know, you sort of, well, you know, you make loads of mistakes and you kind of like learn as you go. And but at the same time, I've also had that kind of dance between wanting them to understand um the sort of brokenness <laughs> of how we go about things in the world you know so it's like so they can see you know, they can understand that you know there are there are other ways that we can be doing things so it's a bit of a dance and as i say and and, and, and you know my wonderful partner seema has been you know she gets the you know she she's uh, it was interesting when you were talking about it because yeah so i'm definitely the sort of the sort of messy chaotic um <laughs> <laughs> uh uh you know sort of um and 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 she will help put some order but it's it different you know we, we've got very different very different skill sets we we don't collaborate i think in the way that you guys do but we're we're you know we're a solid unit in terms of getting our work you know working and our family because we sort of we've become quite integrated in you know and how we um you know we basically work from home a lot of the time and so yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, it's this. It's, it's funny. It brings me back to the sort of. I don't know if you if you know if you if you you follow Charles Eisenstein's work and he and I mean, I guess this is more sort of Buddhist principles. But you know, the, the stories of interbeing and the stories of the separation of the self from the natural world from community. And I, I've often feel that so much of modern, you know, inverted commas, sort of you know, modern human human living is is so separate. You know, it's been so separated. Um, that actually, you know, the messiness of a more integrated way of working, whether that's, you know, working with your family or your partner and, you know, be, be you know, I, I think that's actually there's 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 so much joy in that as well. And it is complicated because I think because we've been sort of led to believe that that's not what you do almost, you know, um, 
but I think there's something quite, you know, if you can, if you can, if there's something there in, in the way that you can work or be more integrated with your partner and family. So I think it's, it's amazing, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I say definitely. I mean, like, I mean, obviously there were, I think they had their ups and downs as well, but like Charles and Raheem's were, you know, created like huge amounts of like beautiful work and I like, did some really amazing projects together. And I think they were both very different but kind of integrated their way of working really well. And I mean, yeah, I think, I think obviously there was, I think the thing there was troubles within that, but I think they kind of showed that if you have two people with different skill sets, you can do pretty amazing things. And again, like you don't always need to switch off or be confined to certain times of working. And yeah, but it's, right. it's not about the stigma because like a lot of people do always like, I mean, even ask, sort of ask us about us working together, kind of, be like, oh, are you sure? That's like, are you okay? Like, how do you do it? Like, <laughs> like, hey, it, it just works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 so interesting, and I think also because of what we've been experiencing in these last few months, I think these kinds of, I'm imagining, I, mean, I have no data, but I'm imagining that there are more, um, there are probably more folks who've been, you know, those of us that have been able to be indoors or work from home or whatever and I know that's that's only a few of of the population but who who I'm sure have been having these thoughts and conversations and you know could they be doing more with each other could they even work together? you know what I mean because I think it's like um and there'll be others who go I can't do this <laughs> like get me get, get me out of here I've been, I've been hearing hearing stories of kind of divorces and weird affair, affairs going on over FaceTime and stuff gosh trying crazy things that have been going on apparently during lockdown <laughs> um so listen um let's get in because i i you guys i mean you're quite prolific i would say in your in your work i mean i've i it's it's there's a there's a real you know say there's always a real energy around what you're doing and the initiatives that you do and and you can see that you're experimenting a lot because some of your stuff is um quite action-led and some of it uh you know you've been you've been doing some exhibition work in the past um you're trying to sort of link you're starting to connect up you know you had this climate blowout thing planned I mean so just tell me a bit about um and just for the listeners I guess some of the initiatives you've been doing maybe over the last year which you're particularly yeah I guess that have been interesting big learnings or or, or maybe are pointing a way towards more things you want to do um because you've gone from things like you know the we've got mail thing to don't be a fossil fuel to the sadness is a no-go zone which I'd like to talk about as well but they're all quite different aren't they and um can you can you just share a bit about some of these projects and why you were doing them and what you learned from them yeah I think definitely I think what you just said about them all being very different is definitely how we work because we first of all I mean for us we like to always try different different things and different ways of working at the same time it's like the idea of being um you're not confined to only having sort of one way of working to create a solution for something, we can really be versatile and we can collaborate with loads of different people to kind of do anything that kind of we think will hopefully communicate a certain topic in the best way. Um, so I guess, yeah, there was the uh, Don't Be a Fossil Fool campaign, which is when we just really started. Now to try and get people to switch to renewable energy in a really fun, exciting way. And like kind of we learned a lot from doing that. It was like it got, it got people kind of interested in us wasn't the most successful campaign because getting people to switch is really difficult, but we, we just learned a lot and we got to try a lot um, from that. And then I guess fast forward a while, I guess I want a like really big project that kind of 
I kind of like raised Adapt's profile a lot with our Sadness is a no-go zone exhibition, which took place yeah. at the opening gallery in Peckham. And we that was last summer, just under a year ago. So it was sort of the beginning of August. And it initially started as just an... Joe's and I wanted to basically... We saw all these amazing designers within our community, artists doing really cool things. And we kind of thought, I'm sure like a lot of them want to be talking about climate change especially as last summer was such an important summer for the climate movement but they may be necessary didn't maybe didn't have an output or didn't have a platform to do it so we were like all right, okay why don't we just start this off on instagram and we get loads of people um we'll create a series of slogans because language is like a big part of what we do so these are fun slogans based on a range of topics from uh energy rewilding um and travel and we sort of put these slogans out and be like, do you just want to create some work based on it? Do you want to create a poster? You can do kind of what you want. And then it yeah. snowballed. And then again, we found like people were just so excited and willing to do it. And like, so we got big, like people, we managed, we ended up reaching out to people beyond our community who we like just really admired as designers. And then, yeah, basically all came together and we had 50 artists in total. And then we rented out the Copeland Gallery in Peckham, which after renting it out, we realized it was just absolutely huge space, which we were like, I don't know how we had to fill this. Like, we, how are we going to create enough work? Because alongside the 50 artists, and Joe's and I had to create a load, uh, some art pieces and then bring other artists in who would maybe do some installations. We had, um, I mean, we had like uh, Herbo Greens who created like a micro, a micro farm in there. So he was like growing pea shoots, sunflower shoots, and then giving food out to people. Um, and it just kind of like had a week, it was just over a weekend and it just was really great with the shop that was going on there, um, a couple of workshops and that was like, yeah, just a really big thing. And I think we got, got quite good press off that and that kind of like helped give adapt a bit of a platform and kind of, it was also a good time for me and Joe's to kind of not showcase what we do, but like really have fun by being like, we've always wanted to do this. We've always wanted to create this huge exhibition. So let's just, let's just go and do it. And we kind of figured out as we go and we were going along, but it was, that was like a really good fun. So that was like our first big project, I think. Yeah. And then. Yeah. There's some, there's something, um, you know, there's something in that approach. And I think some of the sort of, you know, when I look back and some of the things I've been up to, you know, the last few years as well, it's like when you, when you, when you sort of, put something out or create some experience in the real world that tends to sort of push you um beyond you know puts you into a slightly uncomfortable place in terms of the constraints and the pressures or whatever but you know it tends to be those moments where then these you know it sort of it sort of brings takes things to a different level um you know opens up it sort of opens up new possibilities from 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 doing these things there's something i think about challenging ourselves sometimes right with these ideas um that helps us then you know sort of something else kind of sort of starts to sprout from that from that energy um so it looked like it looked great and, I, and you can access that still online can't you a lot of the work and yeah yeah definitely if you so you could there's the sadness website but it's easy if you just go for it to um adapt hyphen climate dot world and then you can see all our projects on there and then you can click through to the sadness website see the artists that are involved and see some good photos and stuff of the space um yeah and then I tried to try to think so when after after that when did we go for so that was like in August and then throughout the winter when things had kind of calmed down a bit we partnered with the Green New Deal group 
Yeah, and we did a uh, climate change speed dating event at the Tate Modern as well. Oh, yeah. um, oh, tell us about that. Tell us about that. That this is something that we've had. It's been one of our like favorite ideas for a really long time, and we've only tested it briefly at a festival before. Um, but the idea that you're sort of forced into um, three courses of conversation about climate change in a really relaxed, um, funny, and inviting way, um, and you could be partnered with someone that you don't know and you, you have to have this conversation. Um, whereas a lot of people actually feel more comfortable having a conversation about something like climate change, it seems, with a stranger than they do with their mum or their partner. So, um, yeah, basically, it was at a Tate Lakes. We um, partnered with a drag queen called Portia who dressed up in a Stella <laughs> Black-esque way um, and did some hilarious... Uh, comparing as a whole evening to an audience and then we had a selection of um, people coming up and being partnered sat down we sort of decorated it like a French bistro style like cheesy flowers on the table like check tablecloths we had three different courses of conversations we had a starter main course and um, dessert uh, so the starter oh, tell, tell us, yeah tell us about these how, does it, how did that how did that work so there were questions and answers there were scenarios and um, role play there was uh, a task that they had to do about um, writing a haiku about climate change together and then once they'd written the haiku they'd have to flag down Portia who would then uh, read it out to the whole audience which was the best part I think of the whole evening um, we were really inventive I, we didn't think they'd get behind it but they actually came up with some really great ones um, and then the final course dessert was uh, climate change pickup lines so they could read the pickup lines to each other and then um, make one themselves at the end. But it was really fun. And some people, again, like, yeah, we really didn't expect people to get behind it. We thought they'd be quite embarrassed. But some people were sat there for an hour and a half, two hours, just like continuing the conversation. Some people left together. So we didn't intend it to have a genuinely romantic um, aspect, but it ended up... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was really good. Was and did really you fun. did you get did you get any sense of people like I mean those that took part and their kind of their kind of level of engagement with climate at this point and like did you know what happened through the process? Was it, did you, were you able to sort of gauge like whether they're you know how people actually did people shift or deepen their understanding through this sort of process or yeah anything? Did you get a sense of any kind of sort of you know impacts that this thing? made on people beyond obviously being a bloody good night but yeah and no, i think definitely because i think i mean so there was people there who kind of veered off from the from the role-playing stuff and were having genuine conversations about climate change and the climate crisis but there was one in particular where it was um was this man who sat down and he didn't have a partner originally and i remember he looked at the menu and stuff and and then he started sort of talking to me about the fact that like i mean he wasn't, he wasn't like denying climate change but he kind of was like very like you know not acknowledging it kind of talking about this as like he was he was open to being part of it but he was kind of putting it down at the same time and then he got paired with another quite a young guy and and um what was that Jason? and he he basically thought that um it was real dating and that he'd be paired up with a woman so he got quite angry he was an older gentleman and he was like obviously uh of a certain mindset and he wasn't very happy when we 
paired him with a young man. So obviously, we weren't partnering anyone particularly romantically at all, just to, like just to get people together to talk. So yeah, he wasn't yeah. when we put a young man in front of him. But, but they they carried on talking, and then they think had a quite a good debate about climate change, and then I think they both left pretty happy to be honest. And they were there for a good like sort of forty minutes or so. And so I think that was something where it showed that. Hopefully, like what we, we we hope, it was like by what was on our cards, kind of gave them like talking points and helped them kind of find common ground. Yeah, um, throughout. It, it's it, it's so interesting. I did um, uh, my old consultancy collaboration consultancy swarm partners. We did a piece of work with, I think it was in twenty fourteen, but with the DNAD on um, trying to again sort of uh encourage conversation or um, exploration of climate change in in the advertising design industry which at the time was you know I mean you, no one talks about it at all but um we ended up doing this we ended up doing a kind of a, a this kind of gathering um we did a lot of interviews first of all and with folks and then we did a kind of gathering and we brought different people from different agencies and talents into a space and we brought in a we brought in kind of kevin anderson climate scientist which probably wasn't a good idea in 2014 because scared the shit out of everyone but um but we worked with jonathan rosen who'd just done this he was working for this thing called um what was it called the social brain and they just done this big piece of research on um british people's uh you know um how we do or don't talk about climate change um and they did this big piece of research and what they found was was that on average, I think people got to people would talk about it um, for only up to about five minutes, and when it got to, then it becomes uncomfortable, and so people just stop talking about it. And so there's this whole thing of like this uncomfortable that we're not very good with uncomfortable conversations. Um, and uh, you know, th- th- this time I say this was obviously prior to it being becoming, I guess, more of a more a lot a much bigger issue. But it, I still sense that it's even in my own, you know, inquiries and seeing networks and peers, it's still such an uncomfortable, you know, when you get to this sort of, I think when people sort of understand the really what's, what's driving this thing, it becomes so uncomfortable because you feel that you're all so implicated in it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But are you finding, obviously you, you had people chatting <laughs> for, quite, for quite some time. And I'm just wondering again about these, these kind of approaches that you're exploring. They, maybe they help us to sort of break through this kind of uncomfort. Well, yeah, because we, I mean, one of the things that we recognised like so early on was just that it's not dinner party conversation, it's taboo. People get angry if you bring up climate change in social situations. Mm. It's almost like bringing up politics on on Christmas Day. They just don't respond well to it, most people. Um, And we found this with our families who, like, very switched on and engaged, like, liberal mindset. And um, it, it almost the conversation got quite swiftly changed quite often when we brought it up um and we were just wondering like how do we change that because um Mm. it starts at home you need to figure these things out with your family and your friends and and then take that onto wider groups so I think we're still learning but the the speed dating in particular was good because um we literally gave people three courses of questions that they could stick to so they weren't left out on their own and I think what the big fear that a lot of people have when they don't want to be confronted with a conversation about climate change is um not feeling like an expert and Mm. when we talk about politics like the Brexit debate is a perfect example 
everyone was glued to the news and was updated with what was going on. Everyone felt empowered and they felt like experts because it was impossible not to pick up on what was going on every day. But climate change isn't present uh, in the media that we take in every day and it's not present in conversations. So I think people want to get off the conversation topic quite quickly, often because they don't want to be put in a situation where they don't have the right things to say or they might say the wrong thing. Um, amongst other things, but I do think that is a big part of it. Yeah, and I think, like, as well, what we try to do in that at the same time is when we're doing the speed dating, what we've kind of tried to do is... Obviously, there's the role play, so you can kind of, like, put yourself in a... It's still in your shoes, but in a slightly different pair, you know, so you can kind of imagine things a little bit differently. And you're, you're kind of, like, real sort of raw emotion in the conversation is kind of taken out of it a little bit. Because we found that when we when you're talking to family, friends and stuff, like it took us a long time to kind of realise how calm you need to stay when talking about something you're so angry and frustrated about because that often can stop you maybe even asking questions about how the other person's engaging with it and learning about their position so you can kind of then find a common ground in the middle. Instead, you're kind of just, you know, going mad, like ranting about this isn't good, this isn't good, this isn't good. And then they're, they're like, oh, I don't know how to carry this on. And then you're kind of exhausted and you don't know how to carry it on. And you're just angry, so the conversation doesn't necessarily go anywhere. So I think, like, yeah, trying to like continue to ask ask questions and um, yeah, a bit of role play, trying to understand different different scenarios. Um, yeah, that, that's think- five minutes sounds like yes, yeah, it very rings true. I think. And who is, who do you sense is engaging in your work and this type of approach? Just give me. I mean, I know it's hard to, say, but is it is it what's what sort of folks is this is it, is it a younger you know the, is it speaking to any specific I mean it feels I mean it feels very sort of you know it's very kind of fresh your work but is is it because I, I guess where I sit honestly is the complexity of climate change and I'm sort of uh, you know I, I, I just see like it's different age groups have got so much different kind of you know the way that people think about the world is so different compared to like you know how long you've been on this earth you know what you lived through your perception of what is you know what you're owed versus what you're you know what I mean it's quite complex isn't it and I think that's why it's so difficult this stuff because some some of us are able to sort of open our minds I think to the the sort of complexity of the problem and the need for kind of radical shifts others are very closed and don't see themselves as part of the problem do you know what I mean um yeah and I, and I'm just curious as to what you're what you're finding and and who is who is engaging in your in your work. Well, it's really interesting actually because right at the very beginning, um, when we first started, our aim was to just cast our net as wide as possible and try to approach as many people as possible. We realised that the way we were doing things just wasn't suitable for um, an older audience or mm. uh, yeah, or even a much younger audience and we ended up just doing things how we felt we wanted to do them. And through that gained quite naturally the audience that we have just not trying to force any different language, but just doing things in exactly the way that feels right to us. So our audience ranges from about 16 to 40. Main bulk probably sits around in the middle of that age group. Um, And funnily enough, we're, I think it's 74% women um, in our like core community. So 
Hmm. We are still trying to figure out why, like why what we're doing appeals more to women than men. Like we we have no idea at the moment. It's interesting, and and I think there's a lot of debate about women being more engaged in the environmental yeah. anyway. But um, I mean that's yeah, it's so interesting because we've you, I mean my my I can I can really as you're talking that's that's making sense to me. I mean even just you know going out on climate strikes, school strikes, is inherently more women and girls that are on the streets. I, I, I see, um, at least my own experiences. I had a, 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 an amazing uh, uh, designer who's been, um, Anna Murray from Paternity, who's been on this podcast, but she talks a lot about the, the rise of the feminine, you know, that's very connected. She believes in the sort of what, what, what we're seeing, the sort of feminine energy from the planet, you know, this kind of... Um, Sort of the, the the waters, if you like, of our, of our planet are sort of you know have become so toxic and polluted from a sort of masculine <laughs> way of showing up. Um, she sort of really believes that it's sort of, and again, doesn't see it as in girl boy, but sees it much more in sort of feminine, you know, a feminine energy. But it's interesting um, uh, what we're what we're witnessing. I think this this uh, yeah this this kind of you know this this sort of feminine rising maybe. Um, around around all of this climate work what yeah so yeah i don't know if that makes any sense but just yeah we really agree with you i mean in like i think that mothers of invention um put it best it's like it's a man-made uh, man-made crisis with a feminist solution you know it's like right. obviously yeah like in terms of you saying this it's not like obviously i think there needs to be a lot more women in positions that are going to be able to solve this and Sort a bloody mess out. Just get the bloody old gifts out of the way, for God's sake. Just get the old white men. Can we just get rid of them now? Just... Exactly. But, you know, maybe still be part of that. But they have to kind of take a more feminist approach, I think. And I think that's kind of where it's at, you know. But so there needs to be, yeah, there needs to be system yeah. change. Yeah, and we were doing um, research recently and we found that um, someone had done a study and found out that when women are present on... Um, boards of decision makers for policies around climate change especially um in community and like lo- more local levels um there are more la- long last long lasting um policies to do with climate change that treat people more fairly that make people more happy and that people undertake for longer periods of time so um it's just actually quite amazing learning about the different sort of viewpoint that women have when it comes to making policy and, and how climate justice is such a huge part of that and making sure that people are actually treated fairly and healthy as well um, and not it being yeah. a technical solution, but more... Well, of look a- at, I mean, look at... Um, exactly, I mean, look at, you know, even just, you know, COVID-19 and coronavirus. I mean, the, 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 the six countries that are, you know, got the worst worst uh, death rates and spread of coronavirus are all, all run by white populist males men you know it's like um even just you know in terms of you know there's the it's pretty stark now the you know these uh you know the brokenness of these sort of command and control systems in trying to respond to what is these systemic crises that are deeply about how yeah how humans show up right and because uh, you you were you know talking about covid you were about to do um your climate action blowout weren't you that was on the cards um yeah so that was yeah that was supposed to take well that was yeah that was going to take place in it was in august wasn't it it kept it you know got 
we delayed it for a bit and then we decided to postpone it hope, probably hopefully until next year and it was basically we wanted to find a way where people could really engage with the climate crisis take action with the, not in the way that continue with business as usual but within their usual places so within their workplace within their school whether within their community and then we kind of basically send out all these sort of different packs based on their industry and um what how they describe themselves and then we'd hopefully give them the tools to kind of create their own action create their own uh ways of communicating and we kind of like really try and facilitate that and have it a week-long event of great climate action yeah and it came from basically feedback from people that um many people didn't feel represented in a lot of the mainstream climate active activist movements um and just couldn't possibly see themselves feeling comfortable even sometimes um in some of the situations that people put themselves in and we just wanted to make it a free-for-all in terms of uh, inviting people in and I think the key thing that we were really excited about testing and we did get a huge uptake of um, people registering to take part in the first week that we announced it and obviously it, it came off quite soon after that because of um, corona but um, what we were doing is asking people to send us a small amount of very basic information about themselves where they worked what industry they worked in whereabouts they lived um, and we would try and tailor as best we could a starter pack for them. So it wasn't a one-size-fits-all, you just get a one-page document and you have to abide by the rules. It was take all of these are, are pieces of advice and tips and like you can do whatever you want with the information and the advice that we're giving you. So it was either um, maybe they wanted to raise funds, maybe they wanted to spread awareness, maybe they wanted to do a big... Uh, action or event or something themselves um and we would like support and help them and we'd be there to like talk through any ideas that they had as well um but the whole idea was initially supposed to just be in london we're like maybe just test it on a small scale and then we realized that people were registering from all around the world um so we're really gutted that it didn't get to happen because it will happen in the future but um it could have ended up being a global Thing. so hopefully those people will still want to but yeah what do you um with all of that and obviously you know we've had the pandemic we've got the you know the the rise of into the real public psyche of black lives matter that's been happening in the last few weeks um you know we've got you know it's just sort of you know it feels that there's all these all these crises that are starting to sort of show up and for, you know, again have probably you know we know they've always been there but they've been hidden or to many of us and we're sort of starting to experience and I think you know you talk to climate justice and we, we could talk a bit about that because I know that's a, a thing that lots of people are sort of try, you know people who maybe aren't as immersed are sort of starting to hear this term and you know and I think many of us who've been working in these kind of things that, you know, have always sort of deeply seen them as interconnected and, you know, it's, 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 it's humans and, and our sort of natural world together without, you know, we're, we're one and the two. And so you can't confront one really unless you confront the other, but 
how do you, how do you feel about all this stuff that's kind of un, you know I use this phrase a lot unraveling and um, funny enough, I saw you you I saw a thing you put up called the cool zone uh, uh, which for me is is funny when I looked at it, I was like, oh yeah oh, yeah it means we're in the great unraveling it's this kind of space <laughs> but um, how do you yeah where are you guys at with all these all these you know because it's a year ago right you know I mean I I think I last bumped into you Rich on. Uh, on the streets with XR, uh, I don't know where it was, but so much has happened, and now so many, so many of these other big, big kind of social injustice and you know economic crisis and all these things are sort of, of where where do you feel the climate work for you is heading, and is it do you sense that you're going to be trying to make more connections in all of these things, or are you just you know you're you're, you're gunning along with your vision? I'm sort of curious. I know there's a lot in that, but um. I'd love to love to explore that a bit with you. Yeah, I mean, so I think like what's the, I mean, our, what's happened over the, from the start of this year, like for, for anyone like would notice that there's just there's just huge injustice, you know, whether it's coronavirus and the communities um, with BAME people being more having higher infection rates and death rates to, you know, more higher num- high number of BAME people working in essential jobs that, you know, that's like a clear injustice. And then, and obviously the fact that it's kind of caused a lot of the spreading has been from people traveling and like, you know, globalization, like our ability to move very quickly, which I mean, in, yeah, like it's basically obviously because the fact that, you know, if you're in a like position you're, where you can sort of travel the world very quickly, whether it's for holiday or work, that's, you know, doesn't really, isn't really caused by everyone. So it's like that injustice. And then the Black Lives Matter movement, I mean, that's just showed huge injustice within the system. And then I think what's funny about all the three, there's definitely the connection like within the fact that the with high levels of BAME people being more affected and having higher death rates to a thing, coronavirus. And then the government sort of said they were doing a report and researching into it, but not acknowledging the um, environmental factors in that when I say environment in terms of like the space around them so whether it's like um respiratory problems caused by air pollution which has led to obviously being having higher the virus effect, uh, affecting you yeah. in certain way yeah. more but then in their report there was loads of third parties who did a lot of research within like the Muslim community explaining this and what they thought and they left that out of the report which shows you know not giving people the a voice when they're supposed to and then that also shows the massive connection between coronavirus, climate change, and BAME and the BAME communities. And then I think like you you start to just understand when there's so many different ways of looking at this, and you start to understand that it's obviously it's so all connected, which you know a lot of people talk about. So it'd be wrong of us to not. I mean, we've always tried to include that in our work, but I think we've definitely taken a step forward to really, really try and hammer that home now and like all our projects kind of going forward and what we're going to do is really making sure that is a big focal point by um, connecting people from different areas, from different communities and different industry to kind of realise that a climate crisis does relate to everything and then trying to find different ways of communicating and solving that, if that, if that makes sense. I, I mean, I think I got a bit like... Yeah. I, when I was talking about that, because it's just really frustrating. But I think no, yeah, I think, but yeah. I, think no, I think you're, I think you're bang, I think you're bang on, and I think that was that was what I was exactly, and I think 
I think that's the thing. You know, it's just it, it is a, it does again. It's super complex and uh, you know difficult to articulate as well. Something which is yeah so complicated and 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 shows up in people's lives in such different ways. You know, and but I, but I, but I think it's, it's great to hear that that's that you're exactly you're seeing the you know thinking about how to because my my sense is exactly that is it's like. I think, you know, anybody, any of us that are sort of working to, to, you know, to try and accelerate these kind of shifts, you know, is, 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 you know, to, to try and find ways for our work to join the dots for people to see the interconnections, you know, and the, the injustices that sit underneath all of this stuff. I think it's, yeah, I think it's required, you know, and I actually think that's the only way to be honest is, is, is that we're, we're, we're going to be making the kinds of shifts needed is is to really is to really show the the interconnectivity you know and the interconnections and the injustices that sit around what can often be seen as you know carbon emissions do you know what i mean and yeah. um, industry and of, and of course that's you know that's a big chunk of it but actually it's a it's a systemic way of organizing the human race do you know what i mean <laughs> that's sort of uh really at the heart of it so, so yeah it was really interesting and i can you can you talk about the cool zone? Because I think people might quite like that. I saw that popped up. Yeah, so um, the cool zone is just a term that's sort of uh, being popularised at the moment um, about essentially a period of time which has happened uh, several times through history, but that's not particularly cool to uh, live through, but will be cool to read about in the future. Um, and it's also a period of time where like huge shifts of change can happen um cool zones are usually quite chaotic um times of political unrest and upheaval and at the moment yeah like you said so many crises happening at the same time it's hard to keep track um but with that with everyone's heightened engagement and like heightened discomfort in the situation um brings the ability to push through huge societal changes and um really like grabbing this sort of situation by the horns is the best thing to do and I think sustained and prolonged activism is the only way that we'll see this period of turmoil through in a positive way um so with the Black Lives Matter movement for instance like amazing already prolonged um and is causing huge change that if it hadn't have happened, we would never have seen. Um, and it's not enough, but you can see that people are so engaged and active now that I feel very positively that we're going to see huge shifts um, coming in the future. It's almost impossible to ignore. But yeah, the cool zone essentially is that period of time where the turmoil is happening before the big change. Yeah, no, I like that. It's good. I've been calling it the great unraveling, which is probably a bit more disturbing, but um, <laughs> yeah, your sounds cooler. Um, um, it's funny. So there's this thing, is again, just this thing I saw this week. I don't know if you've come, come across this. I saw it on. So there's a guy um, called Frederick Leloux, who's um, written a lot about um, organizational, a lot from organizations and business, how they shift the organization to a, of a, um, working at a very high level of consciousness of human consciousness and basically it's, he calls them teal organizations and it's a it's a book that's been sort of you know um it's you know it's a quite a 
it's been around for a few years, but it's lots of sort of, you know, leadership groups and business starting to embrace it. It's how you shift from a, you know, a sort of old command and control model of organizing to something that's much more based on how living systems and nature and all this kind of great stuff. So anyway, he, this week I saw has just been uh, with his wife have just released this idea they're calling the week. I don't know if you've come across it. Um, so they, they basically got they got to this they got to this and I, I just I thought I'd bring it up because I think it's I, I don't know it's just interesting I thought I wonder what you thought about it it's like they basically come to this conclusion that um, with climate that you know we're all um, you know people are sort of you know understand that you know, more and more people understand the science they understand the you know what is you know the time the, you know the, the 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 urgency for shifts the you know the impacts that are happening the feedback loops that all you know can see that we're heading into a really 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 dodgy direction um and yet still can't quite seem to change anything you know i mean beyond just the basic individual behaviors but can't seem to accept that another way of showing up and organizing is is needed and so they've but so they and they do a lot of work you know they're again and i sort of drawn to this work because it it's that's why i talked a little bit about grief with you like the role of grief with humor because you know there's many that believe until you do some sort of descent you know till you sort of let yourself go to the the bottom of you know like people talk about you theory you know but you're 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 you allow yourself to sort of let go of your world view that was very caught up in what is driving climate change and ecological collapse and whatever until you sort of do that kind of descent which is which is a, a of of grief and is uncomfort and is fearful and scary um there's this sense that you know you can't come back up like you can't break through to being able to see the world a different world is possible does that does that make sense um and so and so that that kind of framing, you know, and, and you know, XR will use that. They'll, you know, lots of people use that model of, you know, it's it's got lots of different presencing theory, U theory, whatever. But the idea is with everything, until you you can't have a new paradigm until you're allowed to let go of everything that you thought the old world was. So they've they've been saying, well, what? So they 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 sort of believe in that model, and so they've they've been playing with this thing, which is like this idea and they call it the week which is going to be like three bits of content i think film content and the idea is um that will take you through the the crises of climate and ecological breakdown um but it's done over a period of a week and you do it at home and you do it with friends and family and stuff but you create i think it's called the week because my understanding is like you'll see the first bit of content i think it's like 45 minutes or something and then you know it will of gradually you know you're going to go on a journey through the week which is going to be quite difficult um but then it will take you back up at the end of it and you do it in your family or with peers or whatever and there's online groups and they've been prototyping apparently over the summer with about you know a bunch of folks and friends and whatever and, and apparently it's been like you know they've 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 they think there's something really interesting it's allowing people to have that breakthrough you know to sort of feel like shit you know we've really got to like get on with this <laughs> and uh and, I, and so I was really curious, but I don't think there's much online. I think they're going to launch it properly soon. But I was just curious about that model with the work that you do, which is, you know, saying you've really focused in on humor and this playfulness. And I just wonder where you sat with these 
these other you know these ideas of grief or you know that the, the, the do we have to have an element of that in order to and again it's not one or the other but i was just curious as to 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 where this stuff sits with you and your work yeah i mean i think we i think that first of all that sounds like a really great thing and like it does doesn't it blew my mind i was like yes that sounds good um but i think yeah i mean like you have to you when you you can you can like obviously ignore the crisis and i think a lot of people do because they don't want to they don't want to go into that sense of feel that sense of grief or feel that sense of everything's kind of been taken away or what could happen whether it's like just your luxuries in life go or whether like there is you know huge disaster that could happen um but i guess like kind of once you accept that which can be difficult then you can get you once you're over that you're kind of clear of it and you've accepted the fact like we just we recently I think we're planning another post. We're recently looking into the IPCC's like worst case scenario, which has been debated. Yeah. You know, reading about that was like, oh, like shit. This is like how how bad. You're not reading that, you're not reading that before bed, were you, Rich? Again, not. <laughs> I think it was like a morning post. <laughs> but like that's the thing. You understand how bad it could be. So then you're like, okay, well, you know, that doesn't. It's good that that is going to exist, whatever. So then you okay, okay, how do we work, and then we come up with solutions, and then. I guess that's when humor comes in for us. It's like, okay, well, how do we now communicate this worst case scenario? Even though there's a lot of debate around how bad it will actually get is in a really funny way that people can digest. And then you can like start working on that. I think for anything like all systems, like once you understand that everything is going to change, whether you like it or not, you know, and if then you can start to move, move forward. And I think people, in positions of power who are really trying, who are very smart and understand the climate crisis. It's not that they don't. Um, are just trying to hang on to kind of keep everything going business as usual because it kind of suits them, suits them now. And like maybe as we progress and like as society has to, this is obviously talking in the Western world where obviously in, in sort of like um, the global South, like, and even around parts of the UK, everywhere, like things have changed dramatically and people's lives have really changed, you know, but like, if you're talking about for someone like, for example, if we talk about Boris, you know, he, the baby doesn't want his life to change. And maybe in time when society has to move from different parts of the UK, maybe everyone moves to the Northern hemisphere, he might continue to try and force a way of life that feels like normal. But so I don't know. Yeah, I agree. We just, it just breaking everything down and breaking yourself down until you can't until it's you've realized that things are just going to be that way they're going to change or whatever and trying to come up with the best solution and try and adapt as quickly as possible is really important yeah and mm. i think um the idea of like exactly what you're saying like lots of people um don't really want to come to terms with the fact that they are going to go through a grieving process whether they understand it as grief or not um, they know the emotions that they could be setting themselves up to feel. And um, I think the best way that we found for the people that are in our community anyway, and everyone's totally different. Some people re- respond really well to like hard hitting, straight up, um, quite like shocking information. And some people need to be invited in a bit more gently. So we think that humour is a good way to invite people in and not be scared of the like grief process that they're going to encounter at some point. Um, and our work's honest and we still list the like 
hard truths, but for some people, they just need a bit more of a gentle nudge in, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And and I think that's the thing as I, I'm, I guess, um, I think this is a space that I'm always exploring and interested in and, and speaking to you guys, thinking about the role of humor in this is, um, the, you know, what, again, how, cause where, where I go a lot with this is that we're moving, uh, and we've probably always been it, but it's, it's, we, it's allowing a sense of not knowing. So if we get, if we can culturally get used to not knowing and and being okay with sort of a sense of not knowing and being able to kind of function more you know a bit more grounded in the present a bit more kind of rather than always thinking you know these huge long-term ways that we tend to look at life you know well I'm going to do this but actually if we could make more of of the days and the you know of the time we have and the actual the desire to sort of participate more in this in the you know in life as it's happening so what is, but that's a, such a shift because we've many, of you know, we've all been sort of, many of us have been, you know, brought up, educated, institutionalized through, you know, colleges and work to sort of believe in certainty. Do, do you know what I mean? So I'm sort of curious about, I think that's one thing I'm really used to explore is how, how do we use things like humor and creativity and culture and art to help people maybe feel more comfortable with this, you know, this more uncertain uh, world um so yeah so that's so yeah I don't know if that's speak to you at all yeah and I think like what I think it's gonna be interesting to see how everyone builds off the back of um of COVID-19 because it showed how uncertain everything is and how your way of life can completely shift just like that and I guess like we're kind of uncertain the fact that there probably will be a second wave at some point so obviously that again like that uncertainty and I don't know if people really want to face that, but like the uncertainty that it can all go back and change again. So we're kind of, it's quite interesting. We're actually living in a very uncertain time. So then I think we, I mean, what you just said, like in terms of how humor works with that, we haven't, like we've kind of been playing with that in terms of the climate crisis, but I guess we're kind of really going to be figuring that out over the next, you know, next few months and however long, how to communicate this in a very, even more sort of uncertain and fragile world is going to be, it's going to be quite interesting for us. And I think well, really quite fun in a way without it being that fun. But... Yeah. And I think, well, I think that's it, isn't it? Cause I think that's the, again, there's this, there's this sort it's a very fine line between dark and light, fear and joy. You know what I mean? It's there's a lot, of, there is a lot of potential, I think for, for, uh, you know, more spontane spontaneity in this, in this world that we've got. Do you know what I mean? And more joy to be able to actually see, um you know the sort of the the, the you know the, the, the to be alive and to be to have all of this world around us is actually pretty sort of extraordinary so there is something i think about yeah i don't know i keep coming back to that maybe maybe like maybe the shifts were you know and i i get the sort of caveat of this i get that there are you know there's many people that aren't able to even think about or engage with these kind of issues because of the complexities of just being alive right just getting through the days but there are, you know, I, I increasingly look, I'm looking to, to to sort of parts of our society that I would call, you know, have privilege. And I'll put myself in that space, you know, I, you know, haven't have the ability more to use our work and energy and influence to, you know, throw spanners into the works, you know, and show possibility and and speak up and show more courage for these kind of shifts. And it does feel that, you know, maybe the 
maybe part of the answer is actually, you know, it's it's just a sort of maybe a different way of seeing and thinking about <laughs> the world and, you know, what's the role of art and culture and creativity in helping people, you know, make that connection. Um because I think you've been seeing glimpses of it as well during this during this pandemic. Obviously, we've seen the reveal of all the injustice and all the suffering, but we've also seen the reveal of the sort of the, the, the sort of creativity, do you know what I mean? And the joy and the there's been, you know, you've seen how people have kind of just got stuff done, you know, work with, you know, constraints and, you know, um, made shit happen on the ground. Do you know what I mean? And uh have sort of, you know, we've seen a lot of love and heart also emerge through through these months. So, and I think that's also really interesting, you know, um, to work from. I think like there's been there's been obviously the massive like shift in terms of like the focus on locality and like being being local, whilst connecting that with a global issue is quite interesting because that's what is kind of certain is what is like obviously around you right now and you know you it might be hard to envision what's happening across the world or like for example whether it's climate change or coronavirus how that's affecting things but you know within your community you know how many people possibly getting might get be getting infected how many people are struggling to potentially make rent how what shops are open and stuff and I guess like if you think about air pollution as well you know that that might be really bad in your local areas you can tackle what you know is certain is what you can feel and experience around you so you can tackle it on a local level and then hopefully that will has like global um that can you know eventually work its way up and have improve things globally obviously that seems like a big stretch but you know and everything can be scaled up which i guess is like the um i guess like a big emphasis of like the green new deal is like keeping things really local and having loads of different ways of implementing things and then just keep working to scale things up scale things up learn from others learn from different communities which is exactly what we need to do when we get up from like the uk learning how to deal with climate change by learning how other countries are dealing with it and i I think yeah i mean i I think that kind of works in yeah just in terms of like what what is certain is what is around you and you can work to change that so that kind of can scale up and i think there has been a big big emphasis on that in the last couple of months yeah and that's a I guess that's an yeah I I'm I'm completely with you the the you know there's a phrase like 2 million villages do you know what I mean like as small as beautiful and actually we you know human scale and actually you know it's much more around now that we're sort of opening up to that and again I mean, you think of sort of nature and it's it doesn't commute it's very localized do you know what I mean so there is something interesting about that kind of awareness shift of noticing what's around you and in your community and then you know, we can have this this connectivity, you know, to to others and the wider world and planet. And but what's that? Yeah, that that sort of relationship between place and and planet and you know country and world. That felt that fit. Yeah, I'm totally I'm totally this, uh, with you. I'm very intrigued by yeah where where might we go with this kind of local energy that's sort of um, been activated during these months. Yeah, and I think that like, finding you found what you've enjoyed locally, like you said, about obviously with nature, everyone's kind of talking about it, and the different things you can like fruits like with walking, everyone's kind of found to explore if they've been able to. Just like you found so much joy in what's around you locally, which again like works. You know, you understand that you don't need to 
travel everywhere to see things you don't need to have all these like desires beyond you can actually beyond where you are you can you can actually take a lot of pleasure in small in smaller things and it's not to say obviously you can enjoy other things but like and you kind of you start to understand where enjoyment comes from you know enjoyment isn't necessarily hopefully i mean like going out and spending loads of money on whether it's clothes or even like i don't know going going out you find like you can quite happily all sit in the park and bring your own food and that kind of actually is a really great day i didn't it's just like an idea like everything yeah yeah no well i think i think there's this thing just uh i've been doing a, a bit of work for um a, um, a, a brand I've been working with over actually over the lockdown and we've been chatting to lots of different people about what's been going on in during this you know during these times for people and one of the one you know one of these things that's come through so much from from a bunch of folks was like well actually you know when you can slow down you can actually live sustainably you know what I mean you're actually able to you're actually able to prepare food you know without having to go and buy packaged up stuff you can actually prepare food or you can actually sit and you know listen to nature or you can try and grow something or you can make something with your kid or whatever or and actually so this kind of weird position we've got ourselves into is that when we crank the economy up and it's let's get back to business as usually you know it's like it's this super fast way of life that this consumerist system has 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 emerged to serve the speed do you know what i mean so you you know, you're grabbing everything on the go. You never got time for anything. So it's all, all of the energy and materials and resource that goes into supporting this fast life, you know, it's yeah. actually, and then this idea that we can greenify that it's sort of nonsense. You can't, it's almost, you know what I mean? It's this kind of like, unless we slow down, it's almost impossible to live a low impact life. I don't know. Anyway, I thought it was just, for me, that's just really interesting that people are starting to go, okay, yeah. So do you know what I mean? It's like, can we go at the speed we were going and, you know, live this kind of greenified lifestyle? I mean, personally, I, I just, yeah, I think it's kind of almost pathological to believe you can, but, but it's a tricky one. It's so true because I feel like it, we were feeling really positive, um, especially a couple of weeks into lockdown when it first sort of took us by surprise, that um, the first things that people sort of did were like do their gardens and learn how to cook different recipes to keep themselves entertained and, and the amount of awareness about nature in their people's back gardens and the minute that all of that fast-paced life was taken away the very first things that a lot of people turned to were sustainable living behaviors so yeah exactly yeah. like you said well yeah listening to nature cooking um, making your own food and it wasn't difficult for people and I think that's just our natural that's how we should naturally be <laughs> um, yeah. and I felt quite strongly actually that there was going to be quite a rejection of life going back to normal um, and I think a lot of people are keen to stay home more and, and not travel so far and stay slow because it doesn't feel comfortable to go back. I think there are some people that prefer a fast-paced lifestyle and probably will rush back. I think the government, in particular, encouraging everyone to like rush back to the shops was a real shock to the system because we'd been living this quite like 
well, obviously not people that were working on the front line or people in um, sure worker roles, but like everyone else was living quite a slow and contented life. Um, so yeah, it felt it felt really odd to be urged to go back to the high street and shop because so many people haven't even thought about that, and so many people realised that they were content with less as well, which is such a nice lesson. Um, let, I think we just have to wait and see in a couple of months, like how how people decide to keep going, whether they take some of this with them. Yeah, it's it's, it's such an interesting time, isn't it? Because I I'm, I'm you know I've been thinking a lot about this as well, and just. But ultimately, it's, it comes down to people, right? It's like unless if people allow themselves or, you know, will, you know, because you either resist, you fight, you know, and again, we've all got levels of ability to resist certain things depending on our own stories and context. But ultimately, again, if you've, you know, there are, there's probably many, many people in this country around who, who have the ability now to sort of act on that new knowledge, you know what I mean, that have experienced something uh some kind of reveal which and they realize they can actually do something you know i i I sense a lot of people have also sort of realized that they're a lot more capable than they thought (laughs) of doing things you know so i think we're often sort of told that we've got to you know we're you know again it's the fear thing you know you have to do all this you have to do all these things otherwise you know you're going to be screwed but actually you realize actually there's a lot more we can do than we thought we could do you know what i mean as human beings we're a bit more resourceful um and actually everyone's going oh you know i'm quite creative i didn't realize i could tinker with stuff and you know i could actually my children are actually able to learn without being sat in a you know room with 30 others every day and i don't know it's just interesting isn't it but it's again it's this i come back to this fear thing are we Will we are we able to say I'm going to resist doing that? Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to go back to that, or or, or do we just get dragged into the the machine? Who knows? But you know, <laughs> yeah, and I think like the idea of like work is going to be especially because even though people as people can't start to come on furlough, whether they're able to go back to work, and obviously with this, there's probably going to be a huge amount of redundancies. So like the idea, and there won't be a huge amount of jobs as we go through. I guess. Um, yeah, like quite a difficult time going forward. So it'd be like, okay, well, how do how how do we adapt? Like, what jobs are going to be more re- resilient to a pandemic or other things going forward? You know, like what jobs are essential? And it's I think that the world of work is going to be really interesting, and whether people will be willing to kind of retrain and find themselves in. Mm. I think that like our ability to adapt, and hopefully that will also that that element will might look to a kind of like a bigger system change um which would be quite interesting to see how that works yeah yeah i think i think your work you know is going to be quite important in these coming months <laughs> how can we la- laugh our way into a uh, a new adapted future <laughs> yeah <laughs> i um I saw just quickly, I just saw something, um, uh, actually just some of your work, cause some you are doing work. There's also some partnership. You are, you're, as I said, you talked about collaborations, but I saw some work you've just had on some, some billboard work you did recently. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So, um, we were asked by ocean bottle, um, to basically take advantage of the lack of advertising going up in London at the moment. Um, and do something to celebrate Earth Day and their uh, oceans, World Oceans Day, sorry. Um, and their brief was basically to 
provide a bit of escapism from lockdown, but at the same time remind people that um, the oceans still need looking after. And I think it is really important because especially when you're locked in your house and you're nowhere near um, the ocean, it's quite hard to remember that there's still a problem there. Um, so our approach was to take sort of like a light-hearted um, idea of like holiday uh, posters or, or like postcards. So we had Wish You Were Clear um, as one of them um, to provide the escapism, but then also little hints at um, the state of the ocean and like trying to get people to remember and to act on these issues that are still going on. Yeah. Um, but obviously not to overload people because especially when we we're designing them, we we're still fully in lockdown. Um and so it's more of a gentle sort of like ease in. But we also we had one with a picture of a plastic bag that said till we meet again, which is also a play on meeting up after lockdown. Um, yeah. And who says tomorrow never comes, looking forward to the future bef- beyond 2020 let's protect it and yeah. nice. I'll, 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 link, I'll link i'll link i'll link to this in the because i know it's something it's all online isn't it i'll link to link it to it in the show notes but yeah it was exciting to uh see our work on billboards what's the first time that's happened so we're pretty- yeah yeah and i guess it just shows like people adapting like they were just like well we've got some we've been able to get hold of some cheap um advertising space like do you guys just want to have fun with it you know it wasn't even like anything promoting them necessarily or promoting us was like let's just have some fun while it's cheap so that was and get trying to get a message out so i think that's like a good way of yeah it's kind of working within the constraints of lockdown yeah and that'd be a nice way to if we could adapt outdoor advertising to not actually feature any advertising but just to feature um interesting art that would be nice if we could get more of that going it's <laughs> and we drove past um was it in uh, near Earl's court yesterday and there's a huge illuminated blackboard and a huge um, uh, billboard, sorry, and a huge paper billboard as well. And with like really striking Black Lives Matter design. And it was just so refreshing because normally yeah. we pass those and they're so overwhelming with like advertising. Um, I would just hope that the advertising companies allow some space for that to carry on. Yeah, I think it's really important. Sure. Yeah, we've got to. Um... Uh, as a guy, actually, I've just done a podcast with him. It's gonna, it's. Uh, we'll get it. I'll get it out soon. But John Alexander, you might. I don't know if you come across his work, but he's an ex, an ex ad guy that has spent the last ten years trying to explore how we shift from consumerism to citizenship. Um, but his view is that you know, advertising is it's just so pervasive that unless we literally create spaces for just get get it out of our lives, it's he he believes it's very hard for people to see that anything again that anything else is possible. Um, because it's so deeply, you know, again, embedded in us because it's coming at us from everywhere. <laughs> it's hard for you to see beyond it. So I think these kind of, uh, yeah, I lo- lo- love these kind of takeovers and freeing up space for creativity and art and, you know, yeah, that's not got a, um, it's not trying to point you to some form of purchase. We need more of that. <laughs> <laughs> More like so listen guys we're coming we're coming through it's been it's been it's been fantastic to chat and um i will you know i will link out obviously to to all your work is there anything anything else you want to share or anything folks can do or what 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 what, what would you um anything you want to 
you know, ways for people to get involved in what you're up to? Um, yeah, so we've got quite a few things in the pipeline. A couple of them we can't talk about right now, but we will be hosting um, a couple. Can we do as an exclusive? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll be uh, hosting like a shop front exhibition. Um, we're hoping hoping to have like a little series of events in there as well um, for about two months coming up uh, this year uh, in New Cross. So we've been very kindly given a shop space um, with a big shop window and we're going to be having uh, either weekly or fortnightly changeovers of um, the display in the, in the front window, inviting people to take part and basically putting climate messages in a high street shop front situation. So um, that's nice. New Cross and we'll be launching that really soon. So there'll be more information on that soon, but that'll be... Over the next, next, probably like for, I mean... August, um, September. Yeah, yeah. August around that time. Nice. Yeah. Keep a look out for that. I think that'd be good fun for us and for everyone who wants that to sounds it. But we'll be documenting it online as well and like all the things that happen in the space. So, yeah. And best things for folks is is follow your Instagram, right? That's your... Yeah, I'd say so. If like, yeah, definitely follow the Instagram if you want to keep up to date with what's going on, if you want to get new information, like all our new posts like information that we're putting out not just about us but obviously the whole climate conversation is all through our instagram and then any past work we've done um you just head to our website and then you can kind of see everything we've done and learn a bit more about us and how we kind of operate and um yeah through that amazing well I'll, i'll link out to all of that so so anyway i always close the show with this with this uh, little this little posing this little thought to you you know this this show is inspired by the by the spaceship earth uh, this idea that uh, we're shifting from a sort of passengers to crew so this idea of becoming crew what is it right now to speak to you guys what was uh, does that bring anything up um i think for us if we're like imagining ourselves and what we do um it's about being the guy with the loud hailer <laughs> sort of like um passing on all the information that we take in and i think for like everyone on a wider scale it's being crew is about maintaining awareness and like ensuring that other people maintain awareness as well like the minute that we allow ourselves to sort of um ignore what's going on we lose so much ground and i think um, yeah, that's for us being crew is sort of like rallying the troops, making sure that we're all staying aware and staying positive Lovely. and healthy as well. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, like, yeah, just Adam's like, like if, you know, everyone like just doing, finding a, finding a way in your life to be kind of like, whether it's the climate crisis or how everything's interlinked, it's like doing your part, whether it's in your work or wherever else to kind of just be improving the situation, like, doing something that's having an effect rather than obviously yeah just kind of ignoring it and not really taking part i think yeah be the crew and everything you do <laughs> nice thanks guys it's been lovely to talk to you um i love what you do and uh we will we'll keep in touch no doubt when uh we might even see each other in in real life at some point <laughs> um uh but um, yeah, it's brilliant what you do. I think your energy and your experimentation and the way you're, the projects that you're putting out into the world are awesome. So um, 
keep doing what you do and um we'll be in touch yeah thanks so much for having us on we've really enjoyed it yeah it's been really good to just sit and talk for a while really enjoyed it it's good isn't it we need we need we need more we need more talking about these things i think as well and the humor maybe we'll have to we'll have to think about some sort of like humorous uh like audio and humor as well have you thought about doing a podcast (laughs) Yeah. yeah Yeah, we need some more comedy, more comedy, uh, climate comedy, I think, is definitely something um, we need more of. Um, but we can have a conversation. I've, I've, I've actually got some random ideas um, cooking, but I'll, 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 we'll do this offline. Um, <laughs> I'll be in touch. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Cool. Thank you so much. Cheers. No worries. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Josie and Rich. What fantastic human beings they are. Check out their work. Get involved with the DAP Climate Club. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's laugh our way into a better world. Um, so, yeah, if you've got any questions, hit me up. Dan at thespaceship.earth. You can follow us on the Instas now at thespaceship.earth. Do get in touch with any questions, any thoughts. Please do share the podcast if you like what you're hearing. If you know other people that might be into it, please do share i repeat again, give us a rating or uh, a review on Apple or Spotify or Google or Acast. It really does help uh, more people find it. It'd be much appreciated if you give us a little bit of love. Um, so there, until next time, um, take good care of yourself out there. Uh, look after others. And uh, until next time, peace and out. Peace and out.